Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Hi, my name is Kinsley Vest, and I went to Hinge Now this weekend, and today I'm going to be reading Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thanks, Kinsley. Great job. Uh, My name is Brad. I'm the campus pastor here. I'm also on the preaching team. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come under your word this morning, as Kinsley just read, um, eternal truths that you want us to know, and so we come under your perfect scriptures, and we ask, Father, that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wonderful things out of your word, and we come to you through Christ, amen. So we are continuing in the book of Romans, which is a letter, actually. Um, The Apostle Paul is is the guy who wrote this, and he wrote this to the Christians in first century Rome, and we'll be in verses 1 through 11, actually, the next three weeks, and you should know something. This is for free. The Bible is endlessly profitable and endlessly deep, and so you can take a verse of Scripture, not because you're theologically insightful or you even need to be for this, you could take a legal pad and just write observation after observation after observation. And the gospel of Jesus, which is the good news of what he has done, it is endlessly wonderful. And so today we're going to be in really six through 10-ish, um, looking at these, these different angles um, that Kinsley just read. So um, are you guys awake? Y'all doing okay? Who the man? Jesus. Who the man? Jesus. All right, all right. It's good to see y'all. It really is. We love hero stories. We love stories of sacrifice, specifically. And this is why when the 150-pound kicker searches out the ball carrier on a kick return and runs full speed, headlong, and just collides with him. We love that. 
I love that. If you don't love that, you need to watch that. You need to Google that. It doesn't matter if he makes the tackle, but to sacrifice your body for the team and to go all out, it's, it's something we love. It's beautiful. We give medals for sacrifices in the military. So in 2006, there was a guy named Michael Mansour. He was a Navy SEAL. He was with his SEAL brothers and some Iraqi soldiers on a rooftop in Ramadi, Iraq. And they were engaging the enemy from up there. Uh, a nearby mosque had made an announcement on the loudspeaker, basically kill the Americans. And so it was hot and, and it was heavy and it was intense. So Michael is up there and he's by the only means of exit. There's one way off. He's right there. A grenade comes up and hits him in the chest, falls to the ground. What does he do? Well, he could run. He could get down the stairs before anyone else could. He'd try to throw it back. Mansoor dives on the grenade, absorbs the impact. He's killed almost immediately and saves the lives of his brothers and the Iraqi soldiers on the roof. He was posthumously, which means after death, he was awarded the Medal of Honor because sacrifice is commendable. It is beautiful. In John 15, 13, Jesus tells us this. He says something about sacrifice. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says the greatest form of love is sacrifice because it is the costliest form of love. Because sacrifice is not merely the expression of love, the affirmation of love, it is the proof of it. It is the greatest and costliest form of love. And in Paul, in verse seven, he says, this kind of love, it's very rare. He says that, that one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. It's very difficult, is really what the translation is, to die for someone else, to sacrifice for someone else. And Paul says, it hardly ever happens. See, I think I would die for my family. I really do. I think for my wife and kids, I think I would. I've never been put in that position, but I think I would. But for a bad person, for an enemy, for someone who is hostile to me, opposed to me, someone who has hurt me, I don't know, man. I don't know. But what our text tells us today is that we have a sacrificial high priest who dies not for the good people, not for the allies, not for the righteous, but for the enemies. And I want to invite you this morning to be astounded by the sacrifice of Christ to be amazed by what he has done. You see, I think some of us are, are kind of gospel meh. Like, if I were to ask you what is the gospel, maybe you, you've not been in church and you have no idea. 
So maybe you're like, I don't know. But a lot of you who are church folk, you could rattle off the facts. Jesus came to earth. He lived the perfect life that no human has ever lived or could. He died a sacrificial death in our place on the cross and he rose from the grave. Those are the facts of the gospel. The question is, has that transformed you? Has that changed you from the inside? Has it made your life different? The gospel is transformative. And I invite you this morning to be astounded by what Christ has done. So going to the doctor is weird, yeah? You have to make an appointment. If it's a specialist, it's months away. And you, you go there and you're in, the, all the waiting rooms look the same. They're all clinical and the music is always bad and, and you sit there in these chairs and you don't look at each other, especially if it's an embarrassing place. You, you're like, what are you in for? You're like, don't, please don't ask me. You, you've got these germ-smeared magazines that we don't read anymore because we have our germ-smeared phones and so you just sit there and you wait and eventually the doctor calls your name and it's like winning the lottery. They're like, Brad Larson. You're like, yes. Yeah. And so you go and then they lead you down the hallway to this little labyrinth of more clinical rooms where you sit on this bench chair combination thing with tissue paper on it. And I'm 6'3", but my legs are still not long enough to reach the bottom, so you dangle like a little kid. And then eventually the doctor might come. But while you're waiting, looking at the diagrams of anatomy and the drug ads, you're like, where is the doctor? And maybe some of you are doctors and you can tell me, please tell me, are you good at Wordle? Are you that busy? But I feel very unimportant and very frustrated in that moment. I'm like, I need help. I need treatment or I just want to get this over with. But you're waiting on your physician. Jesus does not make you wait. Jesus does not make you make an appointment. Jesus does not make you wonder if he will come to you. You see, he is the great physician that approaches you. No appointment, no begging and waiting, but Jesus searches you out and it says in verse six, that Jesus searches us out when we're weak and at the right time. So the scripture says that, that, that Jesus dies for the weak, and that word means to be depleted. It means to be wrung out. Some of you might be feeling that, volunteers. We love you. You probably feel wrung out. To be just emptied. It means that Jesus draws near to us, not only on the mountaintop. Some of y'all may not feel empty at all. You may feel very full spiritually after this weekend. And I, and I pray that you are. But life is not a mountaintop. Jesus comes near to us in the valleys when we are weak, when we are wrung out, when we are depleted. You don't have to be strong for Jesus. So he draws near to you in your points of physical weakness. 
He draws near to you in your points of, of moral failure, in your weakness spiritually. When you have exposed yourself, embarrassed yourself, proven yourself to be what the scriptures say that you are, which is a transgressor and a sinner. At your weakness, he comes to you. Like a reverse background check. And he draws near. And he comes at the right time. I love the way it's said in Galatians 4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, that, that, that reminds me of like a, a flower blooming. Of like the perfect opportunity of, of, of the beauty of God to unfold in the incarnate Christ. At the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and as daughters. At the perfect time in history, Jesus came. We had proven, I don't, if y'all think today is crazy, like 2023 is crazy, please go read some history. Humans have been awful to one another since the beginning of humanity, awful. We are unable to govern ourselves. We are unable to lead our own lives. We have proven that. The prophet said someday the Christ would come. He would pay for that. Not only that, he would regenerate people. The Holy Spirit would indwell them and they would begin to live a life through Christ, for Christ. I did not say perfect. That's what repentance is for. But so Jesus comes at the perfect moment in history, not a moment too soon, not a moment too late, right when the prophets foretold, right on time. And he also draws near to us as individual people at the very right time in our lives. Not just historically, but personally. In those moments of suffering, those moments of grief, the dark nights of the soul, he draws near. And in those moments, those valleys, it is when the presence of Christ and the grace and comfort that he provides becomes the most vivid in those moments of suffering. And so Jesus is available to you. He draws near to the depleted. He draws near to the depraved. Many of us struggle with feelings of inadequacy. It's not just you students who struggle with like, am I enough? Am I attractive enough? Am I athletic enough? Do I have enough money? Am I popular enough? Am I enough? 
Yes, you do. And so do I. I'm struggling with it right now as I stand up here in front of you. Am I enough? Have you ever felt like there's no way that God could love you? Have you ever felt just so sobered by your sin that you're thinking there's no way I could be saved? No matter what my mouth says, my life says something else. Have you ever felt disqualified? If we're honest, unless you're an absolute maniac, I think you could agree with chapter three, verse 23, which says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Only the most completely unself-aware person would say, well, that's not true of me. We, we, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God but few of us understand or are willing to look at the depths of our depravity. And we must. Because until you know who you are, you will not see who Christ is. You will not see him as beautiful and you will not see his grace as amazing. Because if you think you're just a little bit fallen short, it's kind of like, well, thank you, God, for saving me. That's nice. I'm going to go on about my life now. There's no transformation for people who are unamazed. We'll call it brokenness. Sound broken? Yes. Sin makes us broken. We'll say, well, I'm imperfect. We'll do no perfect people, shake each other's hands. Hey, I'm not perfect. We'll admit that. And that's important. And that's true. It's worse than that. Verse 10 says that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Enemies. This word means to be opposed with the intent of causing harm. Not a rival. Like a rival team, we want to beat the rival team. I don't think we want to actually make them suffer and plunder all of their things. To be an enemy of God is to want to plunder what is rightfully his. You're like, that seems extreme. Is it? When we want the praise and the attention and the acclaim, as opposed to being in in humble, grateful worship, when we want the eyes upon us, the affirmation upon us, we want the glory of God, we plunder it and say, that's mine. When we use those who God has made in his image, and we all do this, family, for our own benefit, manipulate people, We plunder the people of God when we seek to establish a kingdom for ourselves, our rule, our reign, our dominion. We plunder the kingdom of God. We are hostile to him. Enemies of God bent on inflicting harm. And it is fantastic that Paul is writing this. If you know Paul's story, the Apostle Paul, who is the guy who wrote this, 
He is a certified enemy of God. He is a varsity level enemy of God. He has a long resume. He is probably the, the biggest opponent of the early church. So after Jesus had ascended, the Holy Spirit descends, the early church begins to form in this Roman society, which is really against the church, but it's growing and no one can stop it. Paul wants to stop it. So he, he drags families off in gatherings like this to, to take them away. He's persecuting the church. He hates the church. He hates what God is doing. He's an enemy of God. He's on his way to another town. The scriptures say he's breathing threats and murder. He's literally murdering or, or just muttering these murderous thoughts of like what he's gonna do to these people. He's gonna get these people. Jesus meets him right there in the depth of his depravity. While he was an enemy, he's blasted with light. He's blinded. He cannot see anymore. And check this out. Some people from the early church are the ones that God appoints to draw him in as he recovers his sight, to equip him, to teach him, and to send him out on mission for God. The greatest reversal of all great reversals. You see, Paul, if anyone should be disqualified, it'd be him. Paul is transformed by the sacrifice of Christ. He is transformed by his grace. So are you enough? No. You're not enough. Have you disqualified yourself? Yes. Yes, you have. And so have I. But that is what is so astounding about the grace of Jesus. He says, I know that you are not enough. I will be enough for you. He says, I know that you have disqualified yourself. I'm fully aware. I will qualify you. I will be everything that you could never be so that you can be mine. So that you can be a part of the household of God, a part of the family of God. Therefore, in Christ, through what he has done, you can be enough, you can be qualified, but the precondition for your salvation has nothing to do with you. has everything to do with the perfect Christ and what he has done. Verse six starts with one word, three letters. It seems very inconsequential. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time. Just one little word. It's a massive word. It's linking verse five, which says that, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, so God's love has been poured into the hearts of believers, making us aware of the love of God. Aware of the affirmation of God. 
aware of the presence of God. So you can become spiritually aware to be seen and adored by God. It is the greatest feeling in the world when the Holy Spirit says, yes, you're mine. Adored by God. But what does the Holy Spirit show us? Is it this vague sense of being loved? Verse 8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love. You want to know what God's love is like? Look at the cross. You want to know what God's love is like? Look at verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it is not merely lip service of God saying, I will redeem a people. It is an incarnate love, in the flesh love. Jesus put on skin just like mine, just like yours, and he came to this actual earth. And there was a wooden cross that he was actually killed upon. And he actually walked out of an actual tomb. And someday he's actually coming back. And we live in light of that love. You see, the greatest love sacrifices costly love proves its integrity. Jesus died for you while you were his enemy. Has that become real to you? Are you astounded by verse 8, by the work of Christ? Are you shocked that he would die for someone like you? Have you been transformed by this reality? Let's ask the Spirit to help us now. Holy Spirit, I pray and ask for the illumination that only you can bring. That our hearts would be awake to what you have done, Jesus, your sacrifice. Lord, where we are unamazed, open our eyes, even if that means looking at the ugly parts of us to see how beautiful you are, Jesus. We know that that, that God, through Christ, we can be enough. On our own, we cannot be. Through Christ, we can. Through Christ, we can be qualified. Through Christ, we can be adopted. Jesus, you don't make us make an appointment. You call our name. And I pray that everyone in this room, by the power of the Spirit, would become personally and deeply aware of this beautiful love. Holy Spirit, help us to receive the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf by faith. And now as we sing, may we rejoice that it is true. Lift us, Lord, to see Jesus. Amen. Amen.